0: Hi, this is Maureen Milliken, And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast. You would do if you had nothing better to do.
1: Speaking of having nothing better to do, we were going to have a mini, actually a New Hampshire mini, not a Maine mini, but we thought, since this is already a little late for the sake of getting this out quicker, also so this wouldn't be wicked long, we're going to release it as a bonus episode Yeah so that's so something for everybody to look something forward more to, to listen to yeah because we know people
0: can't get enough of our voices yeah, yeah. i know i just saw on the news tonight about some musicals podcasts that some main and i told hmm. dad and mom i said maybe mo and i should sing our yeah. podcast i'm sure our singing voices would be well, just as i did lovely as one time years and years ago
1: i was goaded into singing karaoke yeah, I had a few drinks, two once. and I sang, sang leaving on a jet plane, <laughs> <laughs> and people afterwards were like, "Oh, that was so brave of you and everything." And you know when people say that, they just sounded really bad. But the thing is, too, it was like karaoke, which is always like this. Now is not just for fun. It's like all these super competitive people. I yeah, know people like take it so seriously. Kit that goes with it and shit. And so I'm sure that they were all sneering at my. You know,
0: I was having fun. I was. <laughs> I remember once Nikki and I went. And this is our youngest sister for those of you who. And this must have, it was when I lived in Bangor and a bunch of people from work went to, uh, there was a bar that had karaoke. This was, would be like 1992, maybe Mm -hmm. (laughs) these two drunk guys were trying to sing Led Zeppelin's (laughs) rock and roll. Bad. Bad. (laughs) And it was, it was this drunk, skinny white guy and a black guy singing it together, not (laughs) Uh, doing a good job they were super drunk i was drunk so i thought it was funny and then later nikki's like i swear to god if they get up there and start singing stairway to heaven i'm gonna <laughs> leave and like a few like a, about a half hour or so later they got did, did they sing stairway to heaven yes they did yeah. they started singing stairway guys- to heaven. she's like that's it i think she was the designated driver yeah. so so she wasn't it.
1: having fun anyway high school dances speaking of stairway to heaven oh that was like they like they like the like play stairway to heaven and so everybody would start slow dancing but then it gets to the fast yes. part and everybody would just be like yeah
0: the, just like Freebird, too I, yeah oh but do you remember you and i went to one in manchester new hampshire where a guy was singing me and mrs jones remember <laughs> not me and mrs jones is it me and mrs jones this is mrs, mrs. Jones. Yeah, mrs. mrs. Jones. jones yeah mrs jones Mrs. jones not to be confused me. with mr jones and me by the there's a bob dylan there's also a bob dylan song yeah but there's that one mr jones and me by the counting crows okay 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 now can we get on to my thing yeah why don't we get on to
1: your thing so i'm excited because i don't remember a lot about this
0: my sources are the bangor daily news Hmm. the portland press herald the associated press and most of these were from newspapers.com it was funny because up to a certain point it was the bangor daily news and then after a certain point i had to do the Portland Press Herald because I was doing newspapers.com but they didn't have newer stuff Press Herald did so also a Discovery Plus show called Unraveled this was from 2015 this episode was called Unraveled Ordained to Kill I would probably get a zero on the negative Nellie's it did have some good things in it. Basically, what was good about it was it showed videotape of the uh, police interviews, which was where, was you, where did you find that on YouTube? Or no, no, you have to pay for it on YouTube. I did a free trial of Discovery Plus. Oh, okay. OK. so now I'm going to start. OK, thank get. I'm excited. It was about 9.30 p.m. on Wednesday, June 23rd, 2010. Jake Dehan decided to stop by Jeff Ryan's house to see if his brother Jason was around. He hadn't heard from Jason since the day before and knew that if Jason wasn't home, chances were he'd be at his best friend Jeff Ryan's mobile home on Route 1 in Amity, Maine. Jake had stopped by the home earlier that day, but it seemed like no one was home. On this visit, he took along his dad, Robert. Meanwhile, in Lewiston, Maine, Jamie Merrill was wondering why she hadn't heard from her 10-year-old son, Jesse, for over a day. Jesse was Jamie's son with her ex-husband, Jeff Ryan. Jeff had come down to Lewiston to pick up Jamie the weekend before so they could spend some time together and celebrate Father's Day. While they often went fishing and hiking together, Jesse would text and call his mother often. The last time Jamie had spoken to Jesse was Tuesday afternoon about 2.40. She called Jeff's phone all day Wednesday. And the news stories aren't clear about whether that was a cell phone or a landline, but it doesn't really matter. But the phone just rang. Hmm. The second time Jake Dehan went to Jeff Ryan's home, he went inside. He and his father looked around the trailer. It looked like a struggle had gone on. Things were in disarray. The two men went through the rooms, and when they got to the back bedroom, they found the bloodied body of Jesse Ryan. Oh. They left the house and called 911. Police searched the property. They found the body of Jeff Ryan in a shed on the edge of the woods. Jason DeHan's body was in the yard. There are different accounts. One said he was at the end of the driveway in a ditch, and the other said he was at the end of the dooryard in a ditch. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: On Thursday morning, June 24th, in Lewiston, Maine, which is about three hours Three and a half southwest of Amity. Jamie Merrill heard footsteps on her front steps. She opened the door to two main state troopers. Mm
1: -mm. One of
0: them said to Jamie, there's no easy way for me to tell you this. Jamie said, is it my son or what? The trooper said, Jesse's dead. Jamie said, what the hell are you talking about? Jamie later told reporters that even though she asked about Jesse, she really didn't think he could be hurt. She assumed something had happened to Jeff. She ran out of her house and the two police officers followed her. She asked them where Jeff Ryan was. They told her Jeff was also dead. She asked them how her son and his father had died and they wouldn't tell her. She thought it must have been a car accident or Mm -hmm. something. The police told Jamie they couldn't give her any specific information yet. When she asked if someone had harmed her son and her ex-husband, the two troopers said nothing but just looked at her. They told her to, quote, sit tight, and they would fill her in when they could.
1: Hmm. She
0: later searched online for information and found out Jesse had been stabbed to death. She said, if it was your son who died in the worst possible way you could imagine, would you want to sit there and sit tight? This is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. It's one thing if they're
1: not telling her stuff because she may be a suspect or something, but if they're going to tell the media, then what the fuck?
0: I don't think it was officially told. I think Um, it was the news got out. I don't
1: know. Because reporters actually would ask people about shit back then.
0: I know. She couldn't understand how police hadn't found the killer yet. Jamie was six months pregnant. Both she and her boyfriend, Dwayne Labreck, were crying and Jamie collapsed and was taken by ambulance to the hospital. Her baby was okay. Jesse, the son. I'm sorry, everyone has J names. I know,
1: it's, it's like the, that family. The Douglas.
0: Right. Jesse had been worried about going to his father's house. He was afraid the baby wouldn't recognize his voice when he got back.
1: Aww.
0: Jeff Ryan was a Vietnam veteran and, according to Jamie, was a prescription drug addict who bought and sold pills. This charge was refuted by others, as we will discuss later. Okay. Jamie said Jeff had been threatened by, quote, quite a few people in the past. Jamie had been married to Jeff for seven years. She said Jeff was abusive and she had spent some time in shelters for battered women before settling in Lewiston. At the same time, she told the Bangor Daily News, I know in my heart he never would have let anybody hurt Jesse. If if he could stop it, there's no way. Dwayne LeBrec, Jamie's boyfriend, thought Jeff must have known the person who attacked him. Jamie Merrill thought it would have had to be more than one person, quote, they need to catch the people who did this. I just don't know how somebody can do this to a kid and walk around with a conscience. The killings were a shock to the small community. Amity, Maine is a tiny town on the eastern border with New Brunswick, Canada. The population is slightly over 200 people. If you look at a map, you'll see the main road running through town is U.S. Route 1. There are a few side roads branching out from the Route 1. The biggest town nearby is Holton, which is a population of about 6,000. Holton is 15 miles north of Amity and has a small hospital, a Walmart, a Hannaford supermarket. It's got a border crossing as well. There's also a border crossing slightly south of Amity in Orient, Maine. Amity has no stores, no stoplights, a tiny town office and a Baptist church. As of recently, it also has a cannabis farm. Ah. Uh-huh. The town of Amity is like a lot of main towns in Aroostook County, mostly homes and farms clustered on a road. Neighbors can be miles apart, separated by thick woods. When a reporter from the Bangor Daily News knocked on the door of a neighbor, Dale Foley, who lived two miles away in Orient, Maine, from the killing, Dale answered the door holding a shotgun. (laughs) He said until they found out who the killer was, he was keeping the gun close. Dale said... I was up till 2 a.m. and never heard any noise. Nothing like this ever happens here. This is tragic. Tara J. another neighbor, said, Everyone I talk to is really concerned. It's so shocking. Another resident of Amity, Larry Hamilton, told the Bangor Daily News, You have to be pretty cold to stab a kid. The phone was ringing early this morning. This is a small town and people are calling each other on the phone, talking that way. Debbie Cohn, a resident of Amity, said, Everybody is pretty much in a state of shock. A triple homicide, a murder of a 10-year-old boy. It happens in big cities. It doesn't happen out here. Huh. I got news for you, Debbie. It does happen out yeah. there. What about that quadruple
1: one in Machias right before the pandemic started? I know. That guy's gonna be on trial soon. Sim- Sorry,
0: I know you can you can do that for him. maybe I will. Joyce Strout lived a mile away from Jeff Ryan. Her daughter Tamra Strout had a 16-year-old daughter, Mariah, with Jeff Ryan. Tamara told the paper, we were together for nine years and we were going to get back together. He had just asked me to marry him. Of Jesse, Tamara said, Jesse was a good boy. He had his moments like every kid, but he was a good boy. My daughter is devastated. She loved her father and she loved Jesse. Tamara Strout said that Jeff Ryan had lived in Amity for 12 years and was a disabled veteran. Jeff, and Jason DeHaan were best friends. Tamara said, Jason visited pretty much every day. Joyce Strout was as shocked as everyone else about the murder. She said, we live here because we thought this kind of thing didn't happen here. Hmm. As police examined the crime scene, they reported that Jeff Ryan's pickup truck, a 1989 Ford F-150 was missing. On Friday afternoon, June 25th, A day after the public heard about the murders, Maine State Police Lieutenant Gary Wright said we have probably had 25 calls with descriptions of the vehicle, but nothing that has led to it.
1: Ford F-150 is the
0: most popular vehicle in America.
1: (laughs) I just saw that on the news.
0: It might appear to the public that this investigation is moving very slowly, but these are, in fact, very comprehensive cases. The fact of the matter is, it's very early on in the investigation. No offense to cops, because I know some listen to us. They use a lot of extra words. They do, and it's all jargony. And also when you said Gary Wright, Dreamweaver started Dream going. Weaver. Dreamweaver started he going. said, I close my eyes. Police also warned people to be careful. Lieutenant Wright said, we are asking people to pay attention to their own safety and lock their doors and vehicles. Some people might not believe this, but, and I know it's like a cliche, oh, they never lock their doors. But I know a lot of people that live in the country that leave their keys in the car. I do. I I leave
1: my keys in my car. Not all the time, but I do. But I, but if I do leave them in there, I'm never concerned anything's going to happen. And I do lock my door when I go to bed at night. But like if I go to the grocery store and stuff, I don't. Yeah,
0: I I lock it. I mean, here I do. I got locked out again. Dad Dad likes to
1: lock people out. Yeah, yeah.
0: Jason DeHans' brother Jake said he had no idea who could be responsible. He said we haven't a clue. We can't imagine anybody would do anything like that. Shannon Ryan was Jeff Ryan's 35-year-old son who lived in Texas. He told the Bangor Daily News that he believed the killer must have been someone his dad knew. Jeff had two Rottweilers. And by the way, this one article was the only one that mentioned the dogs. And I was very annoyed because I didn't know what happened to them or that police never mentioned them. Did it it have their names? No. Jeff had two Rottweilers. And they would not have allowed anyone they didn't know in the house. And it appeared the truck was the only thing stolen. Shannon Ryan said, no way could one person overpower those two guys. At first, I thought he meant the two men, but I think he means the dogs. Because then he says, my dad told me if you did not know the dogs, they would bark and sound pretty aggressive. You couldn't just walk on past them. If they didn't know you, he would have to go out there and walk you by them. That's the only way. Shannon Ryan also disputed Jamie Merrill's description of his father as a drug user, a dealer, and a wife abuser. Jeff had won custody of his son after a court battle, and Shannon pointed out that it wouldn't have happened if Jeff was so bad. Also, a criminal record check showed that Jeff only had one conviction, disorderly conduct in 1992, for which it was fined $100. Shannon said, the biggest thing I have been dealing with is all these negative things about my father. My father had two things in his life, his home and his son. And by his son, he means his youngest son. I mean, no offense to Shannon.
1: Also to his daughter who
0: lived nearby. Shannon said that Jeff was a practical joker who grew his own vegetables and loved to hunt and fish. He spoke to his dad about once a week. The last time had been the week before the murder. Jeff had seemed fine. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Shannon said that Jason DeHaan lived about a mile away and quote, they were friends for about 11 years. They were like brothers, end quote. The state police didn't have an opinion on any possible motive yet. State Police Spokesman Steve McCausland said, we are aware of what the ex-wife has said and some of that same information she has shared with us. Steve McCausland. <laughs> on Saturday, June 26, the truck was found in Weston, Maine, about 12 miles from Jeff Ryan's trailer. At the time, it was reported that there was a body in the truck, but police said that was not true. The Safelli family from Cape Cod owned a cabin on the 40-acre property, which was about a mile and a half of the Washington County line. They didn't do much about the burned truck at first, not being aware of the murder. But when they went into town that day, people were talking. 20-year-old Jesse Cefeli told Bangor Daily News, it was completely incinerated. All of the interior was gone. There was nothing left, just the frame. We thought somebody went out joyriding after stealing it and torched it. The whole thing is just a frame in tires and the tires were completely burned off. Mm. We were stunned, said Jesse Cefeli when they heard about the murders. The police showed up within 20 minutes of the Cefeli's 911 call. Jesse Cefeli's father, who wouldn't give the paper his first name, said they got here fast. You could tell they were taking this very seriously. They looked like they wanted to land the helicopter here. There were several helicopters flying over the area all day. The truck was taken to the crime lab in Augusta to be examined. The area where the truck was found was a tote road off Bancroft Road, which can be easily reached from Route 1 and is a bit southwest of the scene of the crime. The tote road opened up into a clearing, although the truck had been hidden by trees. Gus is lucky it didn't start a forest fire. Yeah, no, kidding. Mr. Safelli told the paper about two weeks prior, they had cleared that spot and removed a deer surveillance camera. He said, we probably would have gotten video of the entire thing. Police took shoe prints from the Sefelis and also imprints of the tire tracks near the truck, which showed that another vehicle had been there also. Sniffer dogs and other investigators combed the woods. Like every place in that area, there are thick woods. No neighbors heard anything. There are a lot of tote roads off the main road, and for those of you who are wondering what a tote road is, it's a dirt road used for carrying supplies or wood in and out of the woods. They normally don't lead anywhere except into the woods. And they tend to have murdered victims on them. Well, because well, it's a way to get into the woods to dump your victim. One of the Safelli's neighbors was Tom Kenyon. He knew Jason Dehan in high school. He told the Bangor Daily News he couldn't believe only one person was involved in the killing of Jason. He said he was a bull, not a very big guy, but tough. He was rugged. I think the word is wiry. I can't see one person doing this to him. Jesse Cefeli thought whoever left the truck must have been familiar with the area. Quote, they could not have walked out of there with a flashlight and a compass. Andy said that even in daylight, it wouldn't be easy. The elder Cefeli said, we must have been the only people within 200 miles who didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. Meaning the triple homicide. And it didn't explain whether they had just come up, the Cefales, if they had been up there or if they had just like come up for the weekend. Because if they had just come up for the weekend, I can see why they live in Cape Cod. I mean, it did make national news, but it might not have made it by then. A week later, July 4th weekend, the headlines proclaimed a suspect was in custody. Thane Ormsby, a 20-year-old man who was described as a resident of Orient, Maine, was arrested in Dover, New Hampshire. It was reported that DNA at the crime scene and fingerprints on a beer bottle led police to him. It was also reported that a witness saw Thane Ormsby covered in blood around the time of the killings. Remember Jeff Ryan's neighbors, Joy and Bob Strout? Mm -hmm. Thane Ormsby had been staying with the Strout's. Thane's mother, Maria, was a lifelong friend of Tamara Strout, Bob and Joy's daughter. Now, all the relationships are going to get complicated here. Uh-oh. I remember when this crime first happened, I was reading about it. I was very confused. So I made a little chart that I'll put on our website and I'll post it on our Facebook page, too. And okay. I think you mean I'll, I'll put it on our website. And I'll put it on the Facebook. Right. I was going to say I was going to send it to you so you could put (laughs) it on. But it will help. With all the J names and all the weird relationships, it's- And it will be on the More Stuff page of our website. Anyway, Thane had been living with the Strouts. Robert Strout was 63 and was kind of a surrogate grandfather to Thane. Mariah Strout, Tamara's daughter, was Thane's girlfriend. And Mariah Strout was also Jeff Ryan's daughter, remember?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: How old was she? 16 and okay. Thane was 20. Police released an affidavit, which of course I couldn't find, hmm. that explained some things. Much of the information came from them talking with Bob Strout. Bob told police that Thane knifed Jeff in the woodshed because Thane believed Jeff was a drug dealer. According to Bob Strout, Thane went back in the house and Jason DeHan and Jesse Ryan were sitting on the couch. He chased Jason DeHan outside and stabbed him and then went back inside where Jesse was, quote, running around and killed him in the back bedroom. This isn't exactly correct, but this is how it was first reported. Bob Strout told police he had driven to Sanford, Maine a couple days after the murder alone and returned the next day. This turned out to be false, and we'll talk about it later. In reality, Bob Strout had driven to Dover, New Hampshire to drop Thane Ormsby off at his son Robert Strout II's apartment.
1: And both Sanford and Dover are probably five Five or six hours hours from Amity, one way.
0: Some of the evidence at Jeff Ryan's house were beer bottles with fingerprints and cigarette butts with DNA. Jeff Ryan's and Jason DeHans were on them, but there was an unknown male's DNA and unknown fingerprints. I'm also assuming, although the newspaper doesn't come out and say it, that there was blood from the killer on the scene also since they were stabbings, and that's common Mm -hmm. in stabbings. When Detective Adam Stoudemire and Detective Dale Keegan of the Maine State Police interviewed Thane, he told them he had come to New Hampshire to look for a job. He said he'd been living with the Strouts for a few weeks, since just after Memorial Day. He was planning on moving into Tamara Strout's home in Weston and fixing it up for he and his girlfriend, Mariah Strout, to live in. He said he'd met Jeff Ryan only once, a couple weeks prior to the killings. He'd had a beer at his house. Thane voluntarily gave police his DNA and fingerprints. Mm. It only took a day for the results to come back from the state police crime lab. The fingerprints on the beer bottle and the DNA found at the crime scene belonged to Thane Ormsby. Now, the newspapers were very sketchy on the information about how the police came to go to New Hampshire and talk to Thane. They kept just saying, oh, it was DNA. And I'm like, yeah, but why would they have known i i just was like how did they suddenly know to go and interview things so well didn't this, bob strout tell them no he didn't tell them right away No, oh, okay okay bob didn't tell them anything about things oh, okay that was the one thing i couldn't connect when i was reading the newspaper articles i'm like okay they caught him but how but in unraveled ordained to kill detective Staudemeyer explained that he went back to bob strout's house to get some more background information about jeff ryan since Bob Strout was Jeff's former father-in-law. I mean, that's what they try to do. Right. And they don't know how someone got killed, as we've talked about. You find out about the victims' lives and you get background on them. I'm going to be talking in Detective Stroudemeyer's voice now. Okay. I'm not really, but this is what he said. We felt that we needed to go back and talk with Bob Strout and talk with his wife. And we needed some more additional information from Mariah. Now I'm me again. When they got to the Strout house, Tamara told them that Bob wasn't home. Quote, she had mentioned, you know, Dad's down in New Hampshire. He took Thane down to stay with my brother, Bobby. And it's like, who's Thane? Why hasn't anybody mentioned that he's been here at the residence for the last few weeks? And isn't it odd timing wise? And now within a handful of days after the murder that all of a sudden now they're taking him to another state, end quote. So they didn't know anything about Thane and nobody met. A witness had come forward about the burnt out truck. A man and his girlfriend were driving on Bancroft Road. Now, I just want to break in here into myself, interrupt myself. It says they were driving. Either they were parked or they weren't driving very fast because they saw quite a bit. I'm going to just say they were on Bancroft Road and saw a maroon Dodge pickup with an extended cab parked at the entrance of a dirt road, The witness saw a man get out of the truck carrying a container in two hands that looked like a plastic red gas can with the top cut off. He was walking as if trying not to spill the contents. The witness apparently knew Bob Strout and said the truck looked like his. That's the problem with living in a small town. Everyone knows you. The witness said he saw the truck leave and head south, leaving the other guy with the gas can behind walking up the dirt road. State police detectives went back to Bob Strout's house to have a talk with him again. While there, Detective Darren Crane noticed some footprints that looked a lot like the footprints he saw around the burned truck. Now, suddenly, Bob had more to tell the cops. Hmm. He said he was sitting on his porch on Tuesday, June 22nd or Wednesday, June 23rd, when Thane Ormsby came out of the woods with his bicycle and went behind the house. Thane's shoes and clothes were covered in blood. Thane told Bob he'd killed Jeff Ryan. He, quote, killed them all, end quote. Mm. According to Bob, then Thane said if Bob didn't help him, he'd kill the whole Strout family. Thane told Bob he'd taken Jeff Ryan's truck and had to get rid of it. Although the newspaper story I read didn't explain, it seems that the truck must have been nearby because Bob followed Thane to Tamara Strout's house in his truck and Thane parked Jeff Ryan's truck behind the house out of view of the road. Then Thane went into the house and Bob Strout saw Thane come out later wearing nothing but his underwear. Hmm. Thane later said he burned his clothes in Tamara's furnace. It isn't clear if she or her daughter Mariah were home at the time. Tamara's house had been abandoned for some time, according to residents of Amity. But some people think Tamar had been living there again. The two drove both trucks to the Sefelis property where Thane burned the truck. Again, nothing is really explained, but I'm assuming they had gone back to Bob's house first to get clothes because the witness didn't say the guy he saw was in his underwear. Also, they had to get the gas for the fire. Bob Strout told police when Thane emerged from the woods, he said, it's done. Then Bob drove Thane up Route 1 to Orient, where they stopped at a bog, and Thane threw the knife away. Police divers searched the bog, but police wouldn't say if they'd found the knife or not. And I didn't Read about it as evidence later. I don't think they ever found the knife. While Thane was being arrested in New Hampshire, state police were searching the home of Bob and Joy Strout in, I think they lived in Orient. Well, those three towns are right together. The Bangor Daily News reported that the week before, as Joy Strout was being interviewed, Thane Ormsby sat at the kitchen table with her smoking cigarettes and listening to Joy talk about Jeff Ryan and her daughter, Tamara. When he was shown a photo of Thane Ormsby, Jake DeHaan said, I have never seen that kid before. He's an out-of-towner, obviously. (laughs) Jake also said, it could not have been just him. There is no way he could have overpowered my brother. Robert DeHaan, Jason's father, said, it is possible that he was the only person, but it's hard to believe because my son was a strong, rugged boy. I know that Ormsby took him by surprise, but it's still hard to believe. While Thane told police he'd met Jeff at Jeff's home two weeks prior to the killings, Jake DeHaan doubted it. He said, Jeff would have said something about it. Jake did say that Jeff had gotten into an argument with Thane a couple weeks before, and Jeff didn't want his daughter Mariah involved with Thane. Mm. About Bob Strout being afraid of Fane, Jake Dehan said that doesn't make sense. If he felt so threatened, why did he get in a truck with this kid and drive him all the way to New Hampshire? Bob knew this guy just killed three people and yet he took the kid to his own son's home? No way. I don't believe he felt threatened by this guy at all. To me, this is just like a movie. I just want the police to figure all this out. We need answers. Jake also told the Bangor Daily News that Jeff Ryan had a prescription for a narcotic painkiller due to his disability, but he did not believe Jeff was selling drugs. Thane stayed locked up in New Hampshire for a while. He was denied bail. His extradition hearing was scheduled for July 16th. Deputy Attorney General William Stokes said a lot of things will come out in court as we get him back from New Hampshire, if we have a bail hearing. Thane waived extradition on Friday, July 9th, and on the same day was indicted by an Aroostook County grand jury on three counts of murder and one count of arson for the truck burning. He would return to Maine several days later. On July 12th, it was reported by the Portland Press-Herald that Joyce Strout, Bob's wife, claimed that Thane had confronted Jeff Ryan about a $10,000 drug debt that Jeff Ryan owed Thane's father. According to Joy, this is what Thane told her husband. Bob Strout told the Associated Press, he said Jeff Ryan owed his father $10,000 on a drug deal and his father wanted to collect it. None of this was supported by any fact. According to everything I've read, Thane had little or no contact with his father, Michael Ormsby. Also on July 12th, Thane was back in Maine, staying in the Aroostook County Jail in Holton. Robert Strout told reporters that Thane had said, keep your mouth shut and nothing will happen. If you say anything, I will hurt your family. Thane told police this was not true. And in fact, it was Bob Strout who told him he better leave the state. Bob Strout was no angel. He had a criminal record going back to 1966. He spent three months in jail for taking a motor vehicle without consent. In 1972, he was convicted of interfering with an officer and paid a $100 fine. In 1975, he was convicted of disorderly conduct and paid a $25 fine. These offenses were all in the Ellsworth and Bar Harbor areas. Bob was also convicted on a bunch of offenses in Ellsworth and in Aurora. Trespassing, criminal trespassing, shooting from a motor vehicle or boat, discharging a firearm near a dwelling, hunting in a public way, reckless hunting, illegal possession of a deer, and littering. These were all in between the years 1986 and 2002 and reported by the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. There were mostly fines except for the deer charge, which had a few days jail time. Jason DeHaan's dad, Robert, and brother Jake believed that Bob Strout had more to do with the killings than just helping after the fact. They still couldn't believe a kid like Thane could have done it all on his own. Less than three weeks after the crime, Thane made his initial appearance in court and Justice Alan Hunter ordered him held without bail and said he would appoint an attorney for Thane since Thane had no money. In Maine, the court appoints private attorneys for the defense. We don't have public defenders. Although there is a bill coming up uh, in the legislature that would have public defenders.
1: And the amount they're paid hasn't gone up
0: since like the 1970s or something. And half the time, when it gets to the end of the year, a lot of times they don't get paid. Oh jeez. Um, because what they have to do is build the state. And then the state also has limits on how many hours they're supposed to spend on certain cases, which, you know, Jeff Ryan's son, Shannon, the one that lived in Texas was still struggling with the idea that Thane was the sole killer. He said, I think there are others involved and I want to see them arrested. My family also believes that Ormsby was not the only one involved. I just can't see how that guy who looks pretty scrawny to me overpowered two strong men and killed them. Shannon spent most of his life in Massachusetts, but spent summers in Maine with Jeff. He also attended high school for two years at East Grand High School in Danforth, Maine, while living in Weston. He had just spoken to his dad the week prior to his death and had come up to Maine after Jeff was killed. Of the allegations made by Bob and Joyce Strout that his father was a drug dealer, Shannon said, "'That is ridiculous. My father had a prescription for Vicodin, but he'd had it for years.' He was not a drug dealer. He was not selling drugs to anyone. There is no truth to that at all. Shannon had stopped at his dad's trailer to collect some keepsakes. He said, you could tell there was a struggle in the house. You could tell that somebody had fought in there. My father was an ex-army guy and he knew how to fight. He also had guns in the home. He would not have allowed someone to hurt Jesse without a fight. Shannon said a lot of things he'd been told about Thane's story, quote, don't seem to fit. He said, I walked into the shed and the only things in there are old tools and some old chainsaws. Why was my dad outside in the woodshed? I know that supposedly Jesse was running around the house. Why would he do that? There's a back door in the home. Why didn't he just run out the back door? I know that he was frightened and maybe he was too frightened to think of it, but it's just confusing. Did he not run out the back door because he was killed when he was sleeping? Those are the kind of questions I have. I was told that the autopsy report will take a couple of months to complete, and maybe more of my questions will be answered then. I know my dad was stabbed to death, but I don't know where or how many times or what. Anyone who walked into that home would see my dad's life was all about Jesse. There are pictures of me and my siblings as children in the home, but there are mostly pictures of Jesse. There were fishing poles in the home and my dad built Jesse the tree fort that's outside and had the swimming pool and the swing set set up for him. He also had the fire pit so he and Jesse could roast marshmallows together. My dad had just gone out and rented a plasma TV so he and Jesse could watch NASCAR on the big screen. Around this time, the Bangor Daily News had a letter to the editor Mm -hmm. with the headline, He's not one of us. I'm going to read it. We would appreciate a correction by the Bangor Daily News relative to its many references of Thane Ormsby, the alleged triple murderer of the people in Amity, as being, quote, a 20 year old Orient man. Ormsby is not an, quote, Orient man, nor is he anything Orient. Don't foist him on us. The fact that one may visit a town for three weeks does not make him a resident of the area nor does it allow others to ascribe him as being one of the area and consequently to bear an identity to the true people of the town. An old Spanish saying goes, tell me with whom you live and I will tell you what you are. Please don't set people up to reverse that at the expense of our reputation. Ormsby may have slept here 20 nights or so, but that doesn't make him one of us. Ormsby has no family in Orient, never attended our school system, and is not registered to vote here. He lists Ellsworth as his hometown on Facebook and graduated from high school there. He registered to vote in Farmington on July 2, 2009, and is still registered there. This then makes him a resident of Farmington, not Orient. Please stop making the public believe that he was and is a person of Orient. This letter has been signed by 12 residents of Orient, Alice Silkey, town clerk, Orient.
1: And that's like 10% of its population. I know. Because it's got hundred. And by the
0: way, I did notice that the newspaper articles after this, they usually mention the fact that he was staying in Orient, but listed Ellsworth as his hometown on Facebook or mentioned that he grew up in Ellsworth. So her her letter newspapers
1: they'll grasp on to one little detail like I that know. you know and then they'll just keep using it was it mindlessly. Just the headline
0: the first headline was orient man you know? right Jason Dehan's family was still reeling over his death which happened only two weeks before his 31st birthday his aunt Peggy Thibodeau told the bangor daily news it's just unbelievable such a shock i still have a hard time believing this has happened i just can't describe how it feels and how it has affected my family he was a great dad and a great human being he was a very very hard worker he has worked ever since he was a teenager and he really did everything with his family he worked hand in hand with his dad and brother where you would see one you'd see the other two they all worked 10-hour days and sometimes spent three or four hours on the road to get to and from jobs, End quote. Jason was quiet and kept to himself, but he was a great listener, Peggy said, quote, he loved to do things with his children. They went four-wheeling together. They went swimming and fishing and snowmobiling in the winter. He taught them about the outdoors. He showed them how much he loved it. And they loved being with him. Jason had three children, Skylar, Jake, and Isabella. Skylar nine was the oldest. Peggy said Skylar almost went with him that day. She was a good friend with Jesse because they were almost the same age. She also loved to ride ATVs with her dad. There could have been four victims. Jason's wife, Crystal, said at about 4 p.m. on Tuesday, June 22nd, Jason left on his ATV, and that's all-terrain vehicle for anyone who doesn't know. It's kind of like a four-wheel thingy to visit his parents, but instead decided to stop at Jeff's house about a mile down the road. Peggy Thibodeau also wondered if it was possible for Thane Ormsby to have overpowered Jason DeHaan. She said he had strong shoulders and arms from carrying sheetrock and other materials. He was a construction worker, a person who lifted a lot of weight easily. Peggy lived in Thompson, which is a town in the mid-coast area of Maine near Brunswick. She said her family members enjoyed the rural life in Amity. Quote, They like that it's so rural, a peaceful place where people don't have to lock their doors at night. It doesn't seem that way anymore. Jeff Ryan and Jamie Merrill were married in 1998 and divorced in 2007. They had shared custody of Jesse, but the boy had lived with Jeff up until the February before his death. He'd attended Mills Pond School in Hodgton most of his school days, and Hodgton is between Holton and Amity. Jesse's school principal, Lorene Wiley, said he was a bright, funny young boy, a very social child. Jesse liked to talk about fishing and hunting trips he took with his dad. Lorene said it was clear to everyone that he had a great time on those trips. At a counseling session, fellow students wrote their thoughts about Jesse. He was, quote, the class clown. He had the best snacks in school. One wrote, when you were sad or down, Jesse could always make you laugh. On July 21st, about one month after the killings, Thane Ormsby was arraigned in Rooster County Superior Court on the three murder charges and the one arson charge. His court-appointed attorneys, Sarah LeClaire and James Dunleavy, did not seek bail. They were from Presque Isle, by the way. Thane pled not guilty. Deputy Attorney General William Stokes represented the state. The state requested a forensic psychiatric examination. Bill Stokes told reporters about the victim's families, they have suffered a loss that a lot of us can't begin to understand. As for the psychological evaluation, Bill Stokes said, after the evaluation is done, it will be impounded. This is typical. The state will not see the report until the defense sees it and decides how to proceed. Hmm. Two months after the crime, Shannon Ryan, Jeff's son, wanted to know about Bob Strout, quote, why in the world hasn't he been charged or arrested? I think that question boggles the mind of everyone up in that area and probably the state. Jamie Merrill, Jesse Ryan's mother, said there is no way that that 20 year old got in his mind to kill those people alone. We know that he did not get rid of evidence of the crime alone. The police have said that, and I think this was planned beforehand, and Ormsby didn't act alone. Shannon said, there is someone who has said he helped Thane Ormsby get rid of the knife and clothes, and then he took this guy out of state. And yet he is still sitting in his home drinking coffee like it's an ordinary day. Why haven't there been any more arrests if somebody said that they were involved in helping cover up this crime and that they took the guy across state lines to New Hampshire? Deputy Attorney General Bill Stokes said, I can't discuss that publicly. It's an ongoing investigation, and it's not wise to discuss potential charges against anyone. Shannon Ryan said, I keep being told that this is an ongoing investigation, but how can it be ongoing if nothing is going on? Uh, despite what jamie merrill said when jeff ryan was first killed that her husband was a drug dealer and all that stuff months later in august of 2010 she told the Bangor daily news that she and jeff were best friends and that he was a great father and great with kids jamie said that jeff had issues with bob and Joyce strout mainly because of the on and off relationship of tamra strout and jeff ryan bob and joy strout denied they had any issues with jeff Jamie Merrill also had questions about why her son, Jesse, would have been, quote, running around and wouldn't have escaped out the back door. She said, it just enrages me and it enrages my entire family. I'm so angry about this. I'm glad they made an arrest, but there are more involved. She wouldn't be attending court because, quote, I can't be in the same room as him, meaning Thane. Mm. I'd go after him. But she was going to keep trying to find answers. She said, I don't want this swept under the rug. This is my 10-year-old son. I loved my son. Shannon Ryan was trying to follow the news from Texas, and he was almost obsessed with finding answers. He tried contacting Thane's lawyers. He said, I asked if I could talk to him, meaning Thane. I never got any response. I'm just struggling here to learn what happened. I don't even know this Ormsby kid. My father was a good guy, and so was Jason. They were good friends, and Jesse was a nice kid. I don't understand what is worth taking someone's life over. I really want to know the time of death. I was at the home five days after the murders and there were beer bottles on the cupboards, but also a coffee pot with mold in it. The TV was on in the living room and in Jesse's room, but the screens were blank. I don't believe my dad drank coffee late at night and I know he got up early, but did Jesse? What time did this happen? It's just confusing. Shannon also wondered why Fane quote, randomly moved into Amity two weeks before the murder, approximately a mile from the crime scene. I know there are things they can't tell us because they want to make the charges stick and get Ormsby convicted and everything, but they could give us something. On Friday, September 10th, 2010, Robert Strout was arrested at his home and charged with hindering apprehension and arson. His bail was set at $100,000 surety, which means property. You put up your property or $20,000 cash. Jamie Merrill was, quote, thrilled. She said, I think it's great. I think it's the best news I've heard in some time. I've called everyone to tell them the good news. I'm just as happy to hear about his arrest as I was to hear about Thane Ormsby. The fact that he has been out drinking coffee like it's any other day has been hard to take, end Mm, quote. A lot of coffee (laughs) drinking. I know. People don't like Bob Stroud drinking coffee. No. When Bob Stroud appeared in court on Monday, his bail was reduced to $50,000 surety or $20,000 cash. He was able to meet the bail requirements and was released. He pled not guilty to the charges. His lawyer, Jeff Pickering, said Bob wasn't a flight risk since he had stayed in the area despite knowing arrest was probable. Shannon Ryan wasn't happy to hear Bob Strout was out so quickly. He said, it took them more than two months to arrest this guy, and he sat in jail for two days, and then his bail gets lowered. Why would the judge even lower the bail? This is pretty crushing. I'm sure this is going to crush the whole rest of my family when they hear this. If this had happened in Texas, Bob Strout would have been arrested the day he told police what he had done, end quote. It is kind of weird that he wasn't. I think they were just trying to get their ducks in a row. Yeah.
1: And I think they, pretty, they knew he wasn't
0: going anywhere. Right,
1: And, you know, and like Bill Stokes always says, you have to have the evidence before you can arrest
0: somebody or else they can be acquitted or the case won't go exactly. forward. As the holiday season approached, the Bangor Daily News had an article about wreaths across America. No, sorry.
1: <laughs> Don't get me started on those fucking wreaths. <laughs> <laughs> did about you see the Jessica. sign the signs <laughs> along did. route one with the with the pledge of allegiance when you oh, and hannah seen. went up to Luback on route one when oh, you I go to Millbridge, where where the reese people live i don't think
0: we went up we didn't go up that way we went up to we went over kind of Oh, you took the airline. Well, we to, what, the to Calus? We took the airline. Yeah, and then we okay. Well, anyway. not all the way to Calais. And then we cut over. My GPS oh. made me cut over on okay, some okay. weird, creepy road that had all like all the houses on it were abandoned. It was creepy. Mm. Anyway, we're back. It's holiday season. They had an article about Jesse Ryan. His aunt Earlene Merrill said, quote, it is really hard for me to put into words how much Jesse meant to us. And it is really hard to sit and wait and watch a legal process unfold. This never should have happened. Jesse is without us and we will spend the rest of our lives without Jesse. He was 10 years old. His life pretty much ended before it began. As for Jeff Ryan, Erlene said he was a nice guy, a guy who everybody liked because he gave everybody a chance. He was so close to Jesse. The pain is especially hard to take right now because it's hunting season. Jesse and Jeff love to hunt together. They will be up at the crack of dawn and be out there in the woods together. Earlene's two children, Orion 12 and Xavier 10 mm-hmm. were devastated. Earlene said they aren't doing well. Jesse loved his cousins and they loved him. The minute Jesse would get off the school bus, he would call and ask if he could come play down here or if his cousins would come up to his dad's house to play with him. In a few weeks, Holton will hold its holiday light parade. We always took Jesse to that parade with us. One of my boys just said the other day, Jesse can't go with us this year. It is so hard for him. A few days before the murders, Jesse called and wanted to come down here and play. But I was sick. So I promised him I'd see him in a few days and take him out for a pizza. I never got got the chance i know people are doing their jobs but this is taking so long to move forward and i don't want the public to forget these people especially jesse a baby has been murdered i'm speaking up because i want this to remain in the news so that people remember earlene knew jason as well he was a great guy he and jeff were quite close they were great friends as for robert strout earlene also knew him She said, it is hard to be in the same town as him. She said, what was Jesse thinking when this was happening? Was he begging for his mother? Was he begging for me? I don't even want to know the answer to that. In February, 2011, the Bangor Daily News reported that Thane Ormsby's trial was at least a year off. Bill Stokes said, it is hard because there's only one Superior Court Justice in Aroostook County. It takes time to get trials scheduled. I think the families understand. Mm -hmm. Jamie Merrill, Jesse Ryan's mother said, It is really hard. I've had to visit a crisis center. I'm upset with the way the case is going and a lot of other things. I'm not happy that it's taking so long, but what can you do? Even if it goes quicker, it won't bring anyone back. And I want to say it might have seemed to be taking a long time to them, but it really didn't Mm -hmm. take that long. They caught him pretty quick and the trial was pretty quick considering. In April of 2011, Thane's attorneys filed a motion to suppress his confession to Maine State Police. Bill Stokes told the Bangor Daily News, basically, they are saying he wasn't properly Mirandized and that if he waived his right to an attorney, he did it involuntarily or unknowingly. Our position is that this is false, and both interviews satisfied all state and federal standards. Everything was done properly, and Mr. Ormsby was aware of his rights, end quote. State police detectives interviewed Thane Ormsby twice, both times they videotaped it. During the first interview on June 29, 2010, police told Thane he was not under arrest, and they did not read him a Miranda warning, which is, if you don't know, if you watch police shows, you know mm-hmm. when they say you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. And we've gone into in past shows about why that's yeah. important. Thane gave him his fingerprints and DNA sample willingly and answered questions. During the second interview, police did read the Miranda warning and also told Thane he was not under arrest and could leave any time. Thane told Detective Adam Stoudemeyer that the search is over, end quote, for the killer. But also during this interview, Thane said something like, I think I have to plead the fifth. Another time he Mm. said something like, perhaps I do need a lawyer. Mm. After both these statements, police continued to question him. They said he never stopped answering questions and never said he wouldn't talk until he got an attorney. So what's the big deal? Mm, What's the big deal? One of my big
1: things is... The police, TV shows, everything else make you feel like you're doing something wrong if you get a lawyer. And one of the things in the Miranda thing is you have a right to an attorney. And once you ask for one, you're supposed to stop. But people say, oh, maybe I should get one or do you think I should get one? The police aren't going to say, yeah, okay, let's stop because they that's don't why- want you... To get an attorney and the laws need to change. People should be required to have. I one. think
0: they should always be. Re- there should be a law that they there every time police question you, there has to be. an if you go to court, if you have like an initial appearance or something and you don't have a lawyer yet, there's a lawyer in court that's called the attorney of the attorney of the day and they just stand in for that they right. just stand with you and that's like, what they
1: need. and the thing is too police imply like especially on true crime shows that once somebody gets a lawyer they're never going to talk again and that's not true you can talk with your lawyer there and your lawyer is just there to make sure you don't confess to something you didn't
0: do and, or they say also, things. and they're yeah and they're making sure that your constitutional right, right are being you're being uh, represented right it's, it helps everybody it really drives me nuts
1: the way they act like you're doing something wrong well innocent people don't need lawyers well obviously innocent people do need lawyers yeah we you know, know
0: that but anyway yeah. in may 2011 jamie merrill set up a fund at bangor savings bank to raise money for a headstone for jesse's grave she was asking the public to donate and i'm not sh- sure she got it. on august 4th 2011 robert strout was arrested on drug charges mm. which is a violation of his bail condition among other issues bob and two other guys from ellsworth were charged with possession of oxycodone and trafficking one of the other men 24 year old craig strout desmond was bob's grandson mm. although i don't think he was tamra's son he was some other way he's tangled all tangles. these families you know it's yeah I hate to hate to be a stereotype drug agents said there was evidence that bob had furnished the two ellsworth guys with more than 150 pills at least five times bob was taken to their rooster county jail And his bail was set at $50,000 surety or $10,000 cash. He was in jail for a while, but it was unclear if he was still in jail over a month later when he was finally indicted on the charges. And I thought it was quite interesting. He's talking about Jeff Ryan, who there is no evidence. And he's a fucking drug dealer. Yeah, no shit. And he's a real piece of work. I looked up his photo on my phone. In October of 2011, Robert Strout pled guilty to all the charges against him. His sentencing was to take place after Thane's trial. His plea agreement was that he would serve at least two years in prison, but not more than four. Bob Strout also pled guilty to the drug charges. And I'm sure, although they didn't say it in this article, his plea agreement that he was giving them testimony about Thane. But I don't know if he how trustworthy he is. It's kind of of almost like a chairhouse. Anyway, in December of 2011, Thane's motion to suppress his confession was denied by Justice Hunter, which meant Thane's confessions could be heard at his trial. On March 2012, Thane's attorneys requested a change in venue for his trial and jury selection for the trial started on April 3rd, 2012. On April 9th, after the jury was seated, the judge denied the change of venue motion. I was wondering why they wait until after the jury's seated. And I think it's because the judge questions the jury. And if, if he thinks that the jurors they picked are impartial, then he's not going to change the venue. If they couldn't find an impartial jury, that would cause him to want to change the venue. At his trial... Thane Ormsby pleaded not guilty and not guilty by reason of insanity. Larry Hamilton, an Amity resident, told the Press Herald, he's got no soul because normal people don't do things like that. He's not sick. He planned it all out and did it intentionally. He planned it out methodically. Alicia Silkey, the town clerk in Orient who wrote the letter about Thane, said people were so horrified by it, With the trial coming, it's like they're reliving the whole thing over again. If you recall, Alicia, Alicia Silky, along with the 12 other residents of Ori- Orient, objected to Thane being called the Orient Man. Thane grew up in Ellsworth, which is often called the gateway to Down East mm-hmm. or the gateway to Acadia. If you've ever been mm-hmm. to Acadia National Park, you've driven through Ellsworth. It's got a population of about 8,000. And I lived there in 1993. Mm-hmm. It's a very cute town. And Ellsworth's about two hours from Amity. Thane had a tumultuous childhood with his mother, Maria, and her girlfriend. His mother had issues with drug and alcohol abuse. It's um, reenacted to great drama, <laughs> dramatic effect. Yeah, I'm gonna have in to that. watch that. Uh, yeah. When Thane was 12, the Department of Health and Human Services removed him from the home and made his uncle. It's said in the thing, it was his mother's brother, but his father's last name on his birth announcement is Ormsby and his uncle, Steve Ormsby. So I'm assuming it's his paternal uncle, not his maternal uncle. He became Thane's legal guardian. He lived with him for the next six years. He attended Ellsworth High School and was on the wrestling and cross country teams. Friends from high school said Thane seemed to change over the course of four years. And I'm going to talk about this after too. Mm, I'm going to talk about a lot of things after. Yes. Brandon Bouchard first met Thane his freshman year when they were both on the cross-country team. He said he was a good kid back then. He had a different group of friends, but he was well-liked by everyone from there. He had a tough life from the start. He did show some violent tendencies, nothing to it. Strange, just rough every now and then. He was a wrestler. He had sheer brute strength. We'd known that for a long time. We knew to stay out of his face so we didn't get a hard punch to the arm. Another fellow track team member, Alexander Keith, said he was always pretty much positive. He was always encouraging the new people, especially me. He was pretty supportive. At one point, he came very confused about where he was going with his life. Thane had wanted to join the Marines and told Alexander, if he didn't do that, he didn't know what he was going to do. Quote, when that fell through, he seemed lost about what he was doing with his life. He seemed very confused. He alienated himself from the rest of us. He became somebody else. Both Brandon Bouchard and Alexander Keefe suspected that Thane may have started using drugs, but neither thought he'd kill anyone. Hmm. Alexander said, I never would have expected that from him. I knew he had some family issues, but not enough to sink to that level. Brandon said, no way, absolutely not. We knew he was like an American Viking and could probably stay in the woods forever, but I never would have predicted this from him. Another former classmate, Nick Appleby, said, when I knew him, he was a Sunday-Wednesday churchgoer, and he went to Bible study groups on Thursdays. Ugh. Other former friends posted reactions on Thane's Facebook page after his arrest. Quote, this makes me sad. How do things change so much in two months? This was in reaction to Thane's last post, which was April 2010, which said, life is good. Yeah, that's a
1: big assessment of your state of mind.
0: <laughs> Someone else wrote, it's so, you know, so shocking. I don't know anyone who didn't think he was a nice guy. Thane dropped out of high school his senior year. I think it was like near the end of his senior Jeez. year. I knew a couple people that did that. Shortly after that, in 2008, he began working on the campaign of former professor John Frary, who was running to unseat Congressman oh, Mike Michigan. that's the Farmington thing. Thane became a living campaign aide with two other homeless men. I found this to be kind of odd. Frary's a weird guy. Yeah, I know. Okay. He's in the he's in that show. He used to write a column for the paper. John told the Bangor Daily News that he couldn't remember how Thane came to join the campaign, but I think they connected through church. I'll get to that later. John said he often gave people who needed a place to live a roof over their head. He believed that Thane had been living with roommates in industry, Maine, and been kicked out because he wasn't able to pay the rent. The industry, just so I can orient listeners, is
1: in western Maine, all the way across the state near yes. Farmington.
0: John Frary said the man accused of murder, quote, is a stranger to me. <laughs> During the time I knew Thane, I never saw any violence in him, nor did I even hear him speak of violence. Hmm. Thane stayed at the home and in exchange for his work on the campaign, he was given room and board and a small salary. John said he told me that the first time he'd ever slept in sheets was at my home.
1: Hmm.
0: Thane drove the car as John Ferry campaigned around the state. John said Thane was polite to the point of obsequiousness. He read a lot and he was pretty smart, smarter than most people his age. He did his job skillfully and was very good talking with people. People who came to know him through me were amazed. He was very smooth. Though Thane smoked cigarettes, John said, I don't believe he was doing drugs when I knew him. He didn't have the money or a vehicle to go out and get them. And I never smelled marijuana smoke in my home. Once John lost the election, believe it or not, he lost. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thane's life seemed to lose purpose. Quote, during the campaign, he had tasks to do. He had a direction in his life. After it ended, he had nothing. Thane lived with John Frary for a while after that. Thane said he wanted to join the Marines. And one day, John drove him to the recruiting office. But the office was closed that day. And after that, Thane said he didn't want to join anymore. John said he visited Thane's home in Ellsworth once. And the family seemed normal and loving, although Thane had told him his childhood was bad. The last time John heard from Thane was on Facebook a few weeks before the homicides. Quote, he told me he was living in Orient and I asked him how he got there. He answered me and I corrected his spelling in the message and that was it. I never <laughs> heard from him again, end quote.
1: <laughs> like how he throws and he corrects his
0: spelling. Jesus. John no wonder Sarah. he never heard from him again. I know. That's what I was saying. John said that Thane seemed impressionable and that if you asked him to do something, he would comply without question. He said that Thane reminded him of the title character in The Talented Mr. Ripley. Quote, when I think of that film now, that is what Ormsby seemed to be like. He said that he did not come from wealth, but he had no trouble mingling with the affluent. He acquired their speech, their mannerisms. He did that very easily and very quickly.
1: Yet the title character was a con man. He wasn't a compliant person who would do whatever people wanted.
0: Thane left John Ferry's house after they got into an argument about an overloaded washing machine. John wrote on the online newspaper, the Daily Bulldog, I knew a mixed up immature adult named Thane Ormsby. The alleged murderer Thane Ormsby is a complete stranger. After Thane left John Frary's home in early 2009, the Reverend Lewis Glidden of St. Stephen, the Martyr Anglican Church in Oakland, offered him a place to stay. Reverend Lewis had met Thane through John Frary. He told the Bangor Daily News, he seemed to be having a hard time. He didn't have a job or any money, so I let him stay with me. Thane did odd jobs around the church and the minister's home. When the Reverend Lewis went on a trip to China in January 2010, Thane house-sat and took care of his pets. While in China, Reverend Lewis started getting phone calls from his parishioners. Quote, they told me Thane was having mood swings. He was going from one extreme to the other, and the ladies who came in contact with him were afraid of him and what he would do. I also learned that Thane had taken my car without permission and traveled to Ellsworth and spent the week there. Reverend Lewis himself became afraid of Thane and made him leave in February of 2010. He said Thane seemed to be a nice kid at first, but he came to realize that while Thane could be helpless and vulnerable, he was also manipulative and dishonest. The Reverend Lewis wanted to help Thane and had the idea that he could have an antique shop and Thane could operate it. Reverend Lewis collected antiques, so he stocked the shop with his property and other people's. But Thane didn't show up most of the time Mm -hmm. to watch the shop. Reverend Lewis tried to encourage Thane to get his high school diploma, offering him a free place to stay if he pursued it. But Thane wasn't interested and started to react with fury every time it was mentioned. Money started to disappear from the church and Reverend Lewis's home. Quote, I was afraid of him. He got angry over little things. Like if you suggested things he didn't want to hear. His eyes would go as cold as ice. It would send chills up my spine. It was in China that I decided I had done as much as I could for him and the church had done all that they could for him. I hated to do it, to put him out on the street. I wonder sometimes if I could have prevented this, meaning the homicides, if I had just tried a little harder, end quote. When Thane's girlfriend broke up with him, he freaked out. According to the TV show Unraveled, Thane had proposed and she'd accepted. But then a few months later, she changed her mind. The Reverend Lewis said, it was during times like those, I tried to get him to take steps to make his life better, but he just wouldn't help himself. I started to realize that he didn't have control over himself or his anger. Others in the church saw it too, but none of us could believe it when we really found out what he was capable of. The Reverend Lewis told the Associated Press that Thane acted like a person possessed at times. He acted like he didn't have control. He was capable of being very intimidating toward people. A demon right out of hell had control of Thane. Mm. You would have to see a person's eyes to see that force taking control. Thane's expression, his physical expression, would change just like a light flicking, a light switch, end quote. Reverend Lewis said in the Press Herald, for a person to commit such a heinous act, it takes a demon out of the pits of hell, end quote. (laughs) I knew you'd like that one. Reverend Lewis told the Bangor Daily News shortly after Thane's arrest that he believed Thane was, quote, a walking monster, But I do intend to see him as a priest when he returns to Maine. I'm only doing so because I don't think he is capable of understanding what he has done. It is not the criminal justice system that is going to hold him accountable. I want to help him see that it is God who will ultimately hold him accountable. Like Blanche Dubois. Thane relied on the kindness of strangers, Mm -hmm. couch surfing around Maine. After leaving the Reverend Lewis Gliddens, Thane was offered a place to stay at a bed and breakfast in Guilford, which is up towards the middle of the state. In Piscataquis County. It was off season, so there was plenty of room. The man who owned it was Robert Schaefer, and he was also interviewed and unraveled. He knew Thane from the Frary campaign and church. I think it's interesting that even though Thane had a bad experience with the Reverend, this guy still offered him a place you know, to stay. Thane did odd jobs around the place and only stayed a couple of months before heading to Orient. As I said before, Thane's mother Maria and Tamara Strout were lifelong good friends, so I'm assuming that's how Thane ended up in Strout's house and. In- orient there's never really explained joy strout told the associated press that she and bob were both disabled and Thane came to help them around the house with chores cooking cleaning and taking care of their pheasants and quail Thane didn't drink or do drugs according to joy except smoke pot which he never did in the house he was helpful and polite and respectful as far as she was concerned she didn't understand how he turned into quote a monster Mm. Joy said, all I can say is that the Thane that was here at our house helping us when we were sick is not the person that went up to the trailer and killed those people. I don't know why. I don't know how. While Thane was down in Dover, New Hampshire, he was hanging out with a resident of the apartment complex where Bob Strout II lived. This neighbor of Bobby's, Donald Hilts told the union leader of Manchester, New Hampshire, mm. that Thane started talking about how he was an alcoholic and he gets very vicious when he drinks. So there are all these different stories about Thane. Uh, he doesn't drink or do drugs. He's a druggie. He's an alcoholic. As far as the alcoholic claim, I think Thane was just bragging or setting something up maybe so he had an out if he got caught for the murders, maybe to him, it would have sounded better if he said he was drunk or something. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about it later. I don't think it was drugs and alcohol that were his problem.
1: No, I don't think so either.
0: Back to Thane's trial in April of 2012, the prosecutor said that Thane went to Jeff Ryan's house intending to murder him. The defense said they would put Thane's actions, quote, into context, Mm -hmm. which makes you wonder what context could there be? would make sense. The story of what actually happened came out at the trial when jurors in the court were able to see Thane's interviews with police. On the evening of Tuesday, June 22nd, around 6 p.m., Thane rode his bicycle the mile or so to Jeff Ryan's home. Jeff Ryan, though he didn't really know Thane, invited him in and offered him a beer. Thane told police, you know, he was nice to me, which makes it strange, but I did have it out for him. Jason DeHaan was there also, and the three men smoked cigarettes and drank beer. Jesse was on the couch playing video games. Thane told Jeff he wanted to build a hut in the woods, but he didn't have any tools or materials. Jeff said that was okay. He had some stuff in the shed Thane could use. The two went out in the shed, and while Jeff was in the shed getting the stuff, Thane came at him from behind and stabbed him repeatedly. When the detectives asked Thane how many times he stabbed Jeff, Thane said, Multiple obviously more than one. His effect in the videos is very strange. If you watch the show, it's like conversational. A matter of fact, it's like, mm-hmm. it's real. It's just odd. When asked if he said anything to Jeff or if Jeff said anything to him, Thane said, no. Thane said, in my mind, I knew that I couldn't just leave him there with two people who just saw me. I had to finish what I started. In my mind, it was a job. It was like a hit to me. Then Thane went inside Jason and Jesse were on the couch playing video games. Thane attacked Jason from behind, stabbing him in the chest. Jason fell on the floor and Jesse ran down the hall. Thane said, Jesse ran to the back room. I thought Jason was done. I didn't think he was going anywhere. Thane found Jesse in the back bedroom, huddled on the floor. He stabbed the boy to death and Jesse was found on his hands and knees behind the door. Poor little boy. When Thane went back into the living room, Jason Dehan was gone. Thane went outside and found a severely injured Jason crawling across the yard. He attacked Jason again, cutting his throat and almost decapitating him. Uh. The detective questioning Thane said, did he say anything to you as he's trying to get away from you? Thane answered, yeah, he didn't understand because obviously I had just met him and there was no reason to him. It really was the first time I'd met him. Thane cleaned up the house, kind of. He took a beer bottle he thought was his, but he got the wrong one. Hmm. And he took the truck. The detective asked, did you go there planning to kill him? Thane, yes. The detective, you did? All right. How long before this were you planning this? Thane He He's like sighs and says it was really kind of a new revelation. The detective says, were you planning it like for days, weeks? I mean, when and things says, maybe days, Thane said, I went and I said, I was, I said to myself, I was going to do it. I had in my mind that I was going to, I had it in my mind that I was going to break the molds of society and commit such a thing. And I had picked my targets because they were bad people. State medical examiner, Dr. Marguerite DeWitt testified that the victims all had multiple stab wounds and their injuries indicated they were trying to get away from their attacker. Bill Stokes told the court that Thane had a list of two people he was going to kill, but only killed one on the list, Jeff Ryan. The naming of the other person was never disclosed. I wonder who it was. During the trial, Jason Dehan's cousin, Albert Godette from Standish, Maine, which is down near where I live, a few hours away, he held the door for one of the jurors. He said, I hope you hang the bastard. The juror reported the incident to a court officer and the trial was delayed as the juror was questioned. The rural juror <laughs> was questioned by the opposing attorneys. The juror said he could remain impartial and was kept on the jury. Albert Godette was charged with jury tampering dumbass yeah. a couple days into the trial an alternate juror was dismissed when he tried to shake bill stokes' hand and told him you're doing a good job
1: what well, were they standing at the urinal at the time I know.
0: after getting the boot the juror told wabi tv he just wanted to congratulate the prosecutor it's like you can't talk to him it's when like you're on the people jury. have
1: no clue what they're supposed to be doing I know they're told how they're supposed to act.
0: But yeah, but they're, they're morons. Humane. The defense wanted the jury questioned to see if they were tainted, but the judge rejected the request. As I said, Thane's videotaped interviews with police were shown. And the first one, Thane told the two state Detectives that he had come to New Hampshire for work. He said his girlfriend's parents said Jeff was a drug dealer and theorized that other drug dealers or a biker gang could have killed him. In the second interview, Thane had decided to tell the truth after talking more to Detective Adam Staudemeyer. Thane said he was getting rid of a quote bad person by killing Jeff. He said of Jason Dehan and Jesse Ryan, "I didn't want to kill them, but I didn't want to get caught for murder." When the two detectives asked him what they should do, Thane said, "You need to arrest." me first for starters. I'm pretty sure Thane did not take the stand. I didn't see it reported and unfortunately the trial was not covered as extensively as I would have liked. I was surprised. I have a feeling after seeing the clips of the videotaped interviews, his lawyers thought it would be a bad idea to put him on the stand.
1: In my memory serves, it was covered, but that was right around the time the website for the for the papers like the press herald and the yeah, it- was switching and i think it's hard because i had the same problem with the coffee shop Trial. yes and
0: that was in some of the papers I right was it, reading. it's
1: hard to find all the stories online yeah
0: well i was gonna say about thing too if you watch that show they show the video he would have not have done himself he probably yeah, would have I'm said sure. all sorts of shit yeah the trial didn't take as long as initially predicted originally bill stokes told reporters that the trial would take about two weeks instead it took about five days Thane was found guilty on all counts on Friday, April 13th of 2012. The jury deliberated for three hours. Deputy Attorney General William Stokes said what he told the detectives and what you heard him say is totally consistent with the evidence. The defendant thought he had silenced all the victims, but now almost two years later, the evidence speaks for Jeffrey Ryan, Jesse Ryan, and Jason Dehan. On Tuesday, August 17th, 2012, Thane's trial entered the second phase in which there would be testimony about Thane's mental state. Because he had an insanity plea, there was a separate part of his trial that would decide if he was legally insane, meaning his mental state was such that he was unable to understand what he did was wrong. Assistant Attorney General Andrew Benson argued that since Thane admitted he killed Jesse and Jason because they were witnesses and because he destroyed evidence and fled the state, Thane obviously knew what he'd done was wrong quote, he was not even remotely psychotic, end quote. Thane's mother Maria testified that most of his childhood she abused drugs and alcohol and lost custody of Thane when he went to live with his paternal uncle. The uncle Stephen Ormsby testified that they sent Thane to a therapist, but he refused to keep going. Dr. Catherine Thomas was a psychologist who testified for the defense. She said that Thane was delusional at the time of the killings, She said Thane thought of himself as an assassin doing a job ridding the world of a bad man. The jury didn't agree. Thane's insanity plea was rejected and he would be sentenced for murder. Bill Stokes told the news that Thane was enthralled with the idea of killing and quote, he didn't think Jeff Ryan was too nice of a guy, so he put his thoughts into action. In Maine, if you are found to be legally insane, you will be put in a mental institution instead of prison. Since Thane's insanity plea was rejected, he would face prison time. On May 24, 2012, Robert Strout was sentenced to four years in prison for his role in helping Thane after the murder and unraveled, ordained to kill. (laughs) The premise is that Thane was pushed to commit the crime by Bob Strout. I don't know if that's true. Bill Stokes says in the program, Bob Strout's story was that all he knew was what Thane had told him after the fact. We had some suspicion. Did Strout put him up to it? Did he solicit him to do it? We had zero evidence to make that case against Strout before the fact. Is it possible that Mr. Strout, in his conversation, said negative things about Jeffrey Ryan that sort of acted as a rationalization to Thane? We'll never know, end quote. Mm -hmm. On June 7, 2012, Thane Ormsby was sentenced to three life sentences, One for each murder and 15 years on top of that for arson. In Maine, a life sentence is a life sentence. Mm -hmm. As somebody put it, you you're gonna die in prison if you get a life sentence in Maine. Thane appealed the sentence two or three times. I Don't know if there was a second time like in between these two I'm going to mention. The first was shortly after his conviction and the last was in 2020. Each time his appeal was about the same issue. He says he was questioned after he asked for a lawyer and he also said he had ineffective counsel. His appeals were denied. He's about 30 years old now and he's looking at a long time mm-hmm. in prison ahead of him and that is my story. And I want to say that his friends thought he was doing drugs. I think he's mentally I do think he's mentally ill. He might not be legally insane. He probably has some kind of mental illness and that's what they were seeing. The whole explanation for why he did it, I don't know. God being a drug dealer doesn't matter. Well,
1: no, yeah, my theory is that that was an excuse. But it was a buildup of whatever mental illness he may have, plus him having anger issues, plus Jeffrey Ryan not wanting him to be dating his daughter. So it pissed him off. And a couple off. people
0: mentioned that about and the he was thing.
1: Right. And he was aimless and his life just kept going down these dead ends and he was out of options. And I think it all just came together and the probably the straw that broke the camel's back i always thought although nobody made that big a thing about it was jeff ryan pissed him off because he didn't want him dating the 16 year old daughter and so he said fuck it i'm just gonna go kill that guy and that'll give my and life he didn't,
0: I, he didn't know that the other two were there right um
1: and i think that he just wanted to do i don't think he thought of him had a delusion that he was an assassin no. Or, and but I, don't I think, think he, he wanted to be were, a badass. Right. I think he wanted to be a badass. And he goes, okay, maybe not this rationally, but okay, if I do this thing, then my life is going, whatever happens, my life is going to have some kind of direction. Yeah. Because I don't know true. what I want to do. Join the Marines. I can't live here. I have nowhere to live. I have no job. I have nowhere to go. Nobody wants me. So I need to do something to make my
0: life. I know that sounds kind of bullshitty. But no, it that, makes sense. Somebody alluded in one of the stories that he was unable to join the Marines. Now, obviously he went with that guy and that guy said it was closed. Prairie. But, but Prairie. before that, but one, of before that kid, yes. one of his high school kids, so one of his high school, after that fell through. Yes. And he, so I'm
1: wondering if the Marines didn't tell him because he didn't pass the psychological test. Or I something.
0: know that that's what I wondered, that he didn't pass it before. And like when it was closed, he knew right. that he wasn't going to join at right. that time. Right. That just gave him an excuse. He would have gone in and gone through the motions if right. if it had been open. But, but I also think Bob Strout was a
1: dirt bag. Yeah. I think Bob Strout knew what he'd done after he did it. Yeah. I don't but, think he knew
0: before the but fact. Bob
1: Strout, I don't think he threatened Bob Strout. I think Bob Strout no. is just like,
0: well, we, we're going to get you the fuck out of my house. But he know? did bring him to his sons. Yeah. I think yeah. Bob Strout kind of liked the whole, I think he kind of got off on, on the thrill of it. Um, helping yeah. somebody but it is kind of I mean the guy is your daughter's the your daughter of your the, it's the father of your granddaughter yeah
1: but that doesn't mean anything you know and the,
0: I don't know what the I don't think his wife knew anything about it, No, no. But, um, but it's he was a scumbag. Like a, and this is the bag. whole thing about him, him being a fucking drug dealer. I forgot about that. I knew he yeah. got arrested. I remember when he got arrested for helping.
1: But it's sad, especially the little boy oh, and also the buddy, boy. not that Jeff Ryan deserved to be killed, but you think of the little boy and the friend just hanging out there. And
0: I know. No. And the, the thing I wanted to say about this friggin' show TV show, it drove me nuts. First of all, Jeff Ryan lived in a mobile home. And I'll put um I'll send you the picture of the Google screenshot of right. his. Because it, it was only a year after the murder. It was still there. Okay. <laughs> On this show, they have a, like this little log cabin that's really nice. But they that, can't you know,
1: fucking find a, a mobile home to use for the reenactment.
0: They show roads that look kind of like Maine or, you know, like right. a road with, if you're not from around here, right. you wouldn't know. But when you're driving in that part of Maine, it's, you're driving down a road with trees. Right. You'll see houses and stuff, but. Uh, if you do right. a Google. Either do t- a Google. trees or farm fields sometimes. So when they talk about him, they'll show that or something but then when they were t- every time they talk about bob strout's house they show this residential street with a stop sign and shit and it's like he that, lived a mile doesn't on the exist. road in orient
1: right it's just like when you did nicole cable yes. and there was a tv show like that, and it shows her and her mother driving down the street it's some like suburban street with sidewalks and stop signs and it's like no she lived in garland
0: maine there's oh and then, and then they're talking about signs they were talking about when when Thane lived in farmington and then they show him like at the on this rocky coast, like looking out over the water. And I'm like, hey, people, there's no,
1: well, there's there no the coast, sandy there's river. no beach.
0: <laughs> they show a beach. There's no beach in Farmington. I mean, right.
1: come on. It's in it, Western. It's in the fucking mountains of Western Maine. You can't get
0: any footage of the actual place. Right. Or, or just put him in the woods. In I fact, did, none of the
1: places he was at no, had a beach. Had,
0: no, none of them had a beach. No, no. no. It was so uh-huh. annoying. The, 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 <laughs> the reenactments are so funny first of all the detectives didn't look anything like the real detective because like they're talking to the real detectives oh when that when he's like i don't know it's just stupid the guy that plays him is i don't know it's, it's discovery plus yes unraveled or ordained to kill and it's like episode two of the season one it's an interesting story i think it would be a good if someone did a good job on it but i would like to know I don't think he had a good reason. I think uh, he was mentally ill and directionless. And
1: and it was the kind of thing, and I'm not saying he was so mentally ill he belonged to me in an institution, but like a lot of people, he just, and he wasn't getting any help. Believe me, I'm not defending him in any way, but he wasn't getting any help. And that's why I sneered a little when the Reverend Lewis... Was like, oh, maybe if I had done more, these wouldn't have happened. I was like, bullshit. First of all, you weren't going to do more. The guy obviously had issues and you fucking kicked him out. So, and I'm not saying the Reverend shouldn't have kicked him out, but I'm saying he obviously had anger issues, impulse issues, and other problems and it's not like you even tried to get him any help reverend you said okay this isn't gonna work see ya and i believe his high school friends were like he had a temper he had to be careful he could be violent i think the people who said he weren't either didn't know him that well or he presented
0: a certain face oh he definitely presented but he knew enough he knows how to act right anybody that's paying attention you you know how to act around certain people
1: especially when he needs them for a place to live and
0: stuff maybe he thought you know oh my life has a direction I think that actually uh John Freire was um pretty astute when he said he had no direction in life and he didn't you know know what to do
1: and I think that people also as we know don't have a lot of insight into other people and the, oh yeah he seemed like a nice guy no I never saw any anger issues because they're not paying attention yeah so I'm glad you did that one because it's an interesting story that
0: um, and it does and I, you know it's funny because when it happened I don't think I had a tv at the time and then when A lot of it was going on was after I had Hannah and I didn't have a TV. I forgot a lot about it. Right. So it's a sad tale too, because
1: these people are just living their lives, you know, and this stupid dirtbag kid who just got kicked around because nobody wanted to deal with him. And he obviously got no instruction or framework on how to figure out what to do with his life nobody was giving him any guidance maybe if he had been able to get
0: into the military at least he would have had something to do but
1: so but in any case so we're not doing an nnw tonight just because it's already a few days late and we want to get it out and look for our bonus episode in about a week right yeah and then we'll have episode 123 oh um, my goodness after that, right.
0: And thank you everybody for listening. Yep, thanks. Good night. Okay. Bye-bye. FedEx. You can cut all this out so we don't sound like sorry. she said. This is probably one of my longer ones, not super long. That's but what he said. I think I wish there was an easier way to pull them off, but if they are, were too loose, they'd be falling off. Oh. Ah, that's what she said.
1: I know those things ended up sucking more than they should have
0: well if they could tilt a little bit back it would help it's like drooping sorry said
1: (laughs) i have to tighten it
0: that's what she said
1: get it up and it's that's what he said that's what he said right